So Money Episode 798, Adiola Omole, author of Seven Steps to Get Out of Debt and Build Wealth. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. What if you had $70,000 worth of consumer debt and lost your job amidst all of that financial stress? Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. Today, we're talking to Adiola Omole. She describes herself as a lawyer by trade and a money coach by choice. And her journey of achieving debt zero and building a community for women around money is the focus of our conversation today. Raised by immigrants and a family of six children, Adiola watched her parents work hard, but also pinch pennies. Seeing her parents' financial struggles growing up, Adiola thought debt was a normal part of life. And this led her to make her own money mistakes. And by the time she was a young adult finishing her clerkship, just out of law school, she had amassed $70,000 worth of debt. That's not student loans. That's credit cards, auto loans. Fast forward to today, Adiel and her husband are debt-free. They're building great wealth. They've even managed to pay off their mortgage. Adiola has a new book that we're going to dive into called Seven Steps to Get Out of Debt and Build Wealth. Here we go. Here's Adiola Omole. Adiola Omole, welcome to So Money. Oh, Farnish, thank you so much for having me. I think you might have hit the record here, having paid off over $390,000 worth of debt, as far as my podcast goes, at least. (laughs) And as far as my memory serves me, I don't know anyone who has had that much debt. So congratulations, quite the feat. Thank you so much. When you say it, it just makes my heart beat and skip a beat. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of money. That's a mortgage. Exactly. And then you had a mortgage on top of that, right? No. So that included, that's included the, mortgage. the mortgage. Okay. Seventy thousand, over 70,000 of consumer debt and uh, th- over $320,000 on the mortgage. Why was it important to you to pay off the, the mortgage? Ooh, great question. Because I ultimately had a goal of financial freedom. And so the way I defined it for myself was to pay that off. So I really targeted after paying off the consumer debt in less than three years. My big thing was I'm going to get rid of the mortgage as fast as possible. Hmm. And now are you the kind of person that's just written off credit cards? Like, do you view credit differently? Do you have a fear around credit? What's your what's your philosophy there? That's an awesome question. I actually don't fear credit at all. What I had to deal with for myself was my mindset around money, my mindset around having having things in my life. And once I dealt with that, I could deal with the credit cards because I didn't have any debt and I was always paying everything off every month. So no, I still have credit cards. In fact, I use one that um, I use it for groceries and for gas and I get points. So I get about $500 worth of free groceries every year. So I'm not uh, uh, one of these people are saying never touch a credit card again. Mind you, I recognize there are some folks out there who should probably not touch credit cards because they don't have, they haven't dealt with the mindset issues. But for me personally, I do use credit cards and I pay them off to zero every month. 
All right. So let's get right to it. You've just launched a book. It's called Seven Steps to Get Out of Debt and Build Wealth, uh, stemming from your own experience, but also really as a financial expert where you share a lot of insights and advice over on your website, adiolaamole.com. Tell me a little bit about the moment you decided to turn things around for yourself. Like there had to have been a day or a minute or a moment that you identify as the aha moment. I do have that moment. It's like, it just happened yesterday. So uh, just my, as a way of background, I'm a lawyer by training. And so when I finished my, my bar exam, actually before I finished my bar exams, I finished my articles of clerkship. And in Canada, you have to do 12 months of articles where you work at a law firm. And I was so excited because I was done my articles. I'd finished writing my bar exams and I was about to work at this law firm. And it was exciting, right? I had a huge, wonderful future ahead of me. And then I got laid off. It was during the dot-com boom and crash in, in, in this case. And I was out of work. I was stressed out and I didn't know what the heck I was doing and what the heck I was going to do. So I looked at my debt load. I looked at my literally minus $350 in my bank account. And I thought, okay, I'm in trouble. What am I going to do? So I reached out to my credit card company. I remember this vividly, gave them a call, told them about um, my situation, asked them for a thousand dollar credit limit increase. I thought, you know, all I need is a thousand dollars to tie me over. I'll be working again in 30 days. Well, they rejected me. And that was my big aha moment. Cause when I, when they said no, I realized, oh my goodness, I have been relying on my credit cards as my emergency. And I vowed at that moment not only was I never going to rely on a credit card company, I was not going to rely on a, on, a, on a company of any sort, like an employer. And I thought, this is my moment. I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to be the master of my own financial destiny. Good for you. And is that when you also <laughs> decided to start chronicling it and start your community or how did that come about? That was really down. Okay. I didn't realize where this was all going to be heading, but at that moment I thought, okay, I need to at least as a way of motivation for myself, realize where I started so that I can get to where I was I was accomplishing to get to. So I needed to keep all those statements. So I kept all my Visa and MasterCard statements. I kept literally crazy things. Like I even kept a receipt that I, <laughs> this is hilarious. I kept a receipt that I had gone to the bank. I paid $40 in my credit card onto my credit card, but that $40 was being taken out of an overdrawn checking account. And I kept that receipt as a reminder of what not to do. And no word of a lie, I actually have a copy of that in my book in the afterward section where it shows that I took $40 out of an account to pay for a visa on an overdrawn account. So I basically started chronicling it as motivation to know that I was never going back to that place of financial ruin that I was in. Yeah, there's uh, something about hitting rock bottom. <laughs> and that Absolutely. was it for you. That was that was your rock bottom moment. It really was. It really, really was. Because I was unemployed for 18 months and I was a newlywed yeah. at the time. And my husband and I were just starting out. We were like 27 years old and we needed both of our income just to get by. So for him, he was making 30000 And before I got laid off, I was making 40000 And we needed every penny of both of those incomes just to survive. So it was really... It was either, okay, we're going to lose our house, uh, we're going to file bankruptcy, or we're going to get out of this mess. And luckily, we got out. 
Are there any secrets to doing this to do? In other words, getting out of debt. We've heard so much of the same advice because uh-huh. it works, right? Like automate your payments, reduce your spending, prioritize your debt with starting with maybe the highest interest rate credit card first because that's your most expensive debt or start with your lowest balance, uh, get some motivation, pay that off quickly mm-hmm. and then you know work your way up. Is there something that you teach as a wealth coach and as someone who went through it that you feel is not uh, conventional wisdom or is not the advice that you hear all of the time that's special to how you did it and how you teach people? Absolutely. And I'm glad you asked this question because I start my my whole process when I'm helping anyone get out of debt. I'm like, forget about the debt, put the debt aside. Let's focus on you and what you want out of this. So I call it the debt motivation statement. So step one of the seven step process that I put people through is why are you doing this? Like you have to ask yourself the question. It's a really simple question. It's basically why have I decided to get out of debt? And your why basically has a lot to do with your mindset, your money mindset, your beliefs around money, your your limitations surrounding money. So I get into the psychological side because people typically, I know now that there's a big wave where people are talking about this, but for me personally, this was why I was able to not only crush that debt, but also build seven figure net worth because I really focused on my money limitations and got around that in order to, to tackle it. So that's what I, I do. I work with uh, my coaching clients. And I, I get into the whys and get into the whole motivation. What's motivating you? What's driving you? What's getting you excited to get out of this debt? And that's a huge part of the process. Do I hear a Canadian accent? I think you might have. <laughs> <laughs> what, what differences do you see between, uh, you know, across borders, like, Americans are up to their nostrils in debt. (laughs) I mean, as a nation, as individuals, is it the same in Canada, despite the fact that you all have everything paid for through your tax system, like healthcare, college, (laughs) you're still somehow finding yourselves in a lot of debt? That makes me feel better, by the way. Oh, you have to feel better. In fact, after the financial financial crises, sadly, because Canadians weren't as impacted, well, down south, we saw all the homes being foreclosed on and we were witnessing something that we didn't have to go through. So our banks came out of that unscathed and there weren't any real major issues. And unfortunately, because of that, for whatever reason, our government felt a need to also reduce rates because we kind of keep in lockstep with the U.S., what the U.S. Reserve, Federal Reserve is doing, the Bank of Canada does. And so we were reducing rates when we really probably didn't have to at the time. We didn't need the same relief because we didn't go through the same financial crisis per se. That being said, it made for, I'm going to call it a crazy fest when it came to people just getting cheap money, using their line of credits as piggy banks. So sadly, we went, through, we have gone through our own issues on this side of the border. And now at last count, every Canadian, they've done research. And the research shows that for every dollar that the Canadians are making, they owe a dollar sixty nine. That's huge. Yikes. That's a problem. Yeah, yikes isn't exactly it. And that's the same level that the U.S. was at during the financial crisis. So, yes, we've got an issue on this side of the border as well. And um, and that's what I think the message that I'm relaying here, it isn't a Canadian message, a United States message. It actually is across the board message for the world because debt debt really limits you like you can't live your passion you can't do that which you absolutely want to do if you're burdened by the debt so let's find a way to crush that thing so you can start living the life that you want to live not the life that you have to live 
Adiola, tell us a little bit about your background, you know, how you oh, were raised, sure. your first money memory as a child. Oh, yeah. Okay. When I was a child, well, first of all, I started doing papers at the age of six. So my parents ingrained hard work in all of their children at a very young age. And so I remember from the age of six until I was about 18, I did papers, but I also had like a ton of jobs in between. So my money memories was basically my parents, amazing, amazing parents. They immigrated here from Africa. They worked extremely hard. They're both retired now. So we're super proud of them, but they raised the six of us to really work hard. And I always remember seeing my dad whenever there was time to pay bills he, he would pay his bills, but I always saw stress. And I thought, why? Like, I couldn't understand it. So my understanding was, okay, money is stressful. Money is hard to get. If you need something, you go get a loan. You just can't pay cash for it. You, you have to get a loan. You want a car? You get a loan. Uh, you want a house? You get a loan. Oh, you want to get a brand new, I don't know, bread, bedroom set? Well, hey, you can get a loan for that too. So I saw those messages. Even though I was raised with an extremely hard work ethic, I also saw that money wasn't easy and it was extremely hard. And sadly, I took that into my adulthood until I t- completely shifted my money mindset and realized, wait a minute, I can make money in my sleep by investing. I can make money in my sleep by having real estate properties. I can actually make money without working as hard. I work hard at the front end, but then once you've done the hard work, you sit back and you enjoy the fruits of the labor. The cash flows is coming in. The the hopefully dividend payments are pay, being paid out. The, uh, the 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 capital appreciation from the stocks are being made. So my my big thing was I had to unlearn a lot of things that I learned as a child. Wow. And um, we will uh, go back down memory lane later in the podcast <laughs> when I will uh, ask you to fill in a blank a sentence. But before we get to that, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Chase Slate and it's October. So we want to know in the spirit of Halloween, what was your scariest money moment? Ooh, oh, I do remember this. Okay. The scariest money moment at one point during the journey that I was on, we only, my husband and I only had $25 a week to buy groceries. And one week we were like, I don't know, short $5 to get something. And I thought, how am I going to do this? So I went, I, this was during the days where people didn't go meatless with anything. Like everyone had veget- vegetarianism wasn't as a big a deal. So I'm like, what are we going to do? So we were short like $5 for groceries. So we ended up literally, oh, this is a horrible story, but I'm going to share it anyways. We ate chili for a whole month. And I'm not going to recommend this to anyone. The same we chili to or it. like we, mix it I up a little bit? spice it up. You can only spice up chili so much when you don't have a lot. <laughs> right, right. It's 31 <laughs> days of chili, Farnoosh. <laughs> We had a lot of chili. So I would, we would have the, you know, oatmeal in the morning and then chili in the afternoon. And I'm like, okay, we could put chili on rice. So we put chili on rice. All right, let's try a chili wraps. Don't try it because it doesn't taste good. At least it didn't for me. So we try to spice it up as much as possible. But yeah, that would, that'd be the scariest money moment. Only having $25 at that one week for groceries. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> Was that as you were trying to pay off the debt, um, you created that budget for yourself or that's just... Absolutely. And what other concessions did you make as you were getting out of debt? Clearly food was low on the totem pole. What else? Very much so. So another concession was we used to love going to movies and we basically stopped that full on, you know, kibosh, no movies. My husband wasn't very pleased with this, but for the first couple of years, that's all we had to do was two years of no movies. So we didn't take a vacation. In fact, when we started our journey, I think we ended up waiting four years into it. 
when we paid off, actually, let me think for a moment. It took two years and about nine months, two years, 10 months ish to pay off that major 70 grand of, of consumer debt. After that, we, we, we treated ourselves to a vacation to Hawaii, but basically no vacations, no entertainment. It was, um, it, we, you know, you find things to do. We're athletes. So we would, we would go running. We would, we, we had weights. So we would lift weights. You know, we would find creative things to do going for brisk walks. Like it's not as exciting as going to Hawaii, but guess what? It, it's what you have to do to get to that stage that you want to get to. Absolutely. What was the hardest part besides the food and not having money for anything else but chili? Uh, oh my god! Did you guys fight at all? Were there were there differences differences of opinions on what oh, yeah. to spend your money on, how to save? Oh yeah, for this. Okay, this is we laugh about. My husband and I laugh about this now. But for the first six months. My husband was not happy about this transformation because we used to do anything we wanted, right? Dual income, no kids, you go and you spend, but we weren't spending our money. We were spending other people's money. So we had to, he had to learn through my craziness that this isn't the way to do it. So yeah, for the first six months, I had to convince him that this is the way to do it. Like we have to get out of this debt so we can actually get to the life that we want. But he was a little kicking and screaming for the first few months. As he started seeing the debts being paid off, he converted and he was like, whoa, Adiola, you were bang on right. I'm totally on board. So it took six months to convert him. <laughs> That's not long, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. Actually, not at all. Not at all. In fact, I'm very proud of them because I've heard many stories where one spouse is on board, the other is not on board, and they never get on board. So I just don't know how that would work. I guess it wouldn't. No. How has your uh, relationship with money changed since paying off the debt? Ooh, instead of fear, now I absolutely, money is now my friend. We are really good friends. Like we, she, the money sticks around all the time. There's none of this departure stuff. The money grows. I now see money as it's 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 just a tool. And for me, money isn't about okay, how many things can I buy? No, it's like how can I impact? How can I take what I have built and actually make a difference? So I see money as a tool to really for good in my in the sense that I see it, a tool to choose the life that you want, a tool to choose. Hey. I used to have a problem buying shoes. Like, I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to have over a hundred pairs of shoes at one point in my life. And right. that I read was that. nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. But that was my big thing. I wanted shoes. Well, guess what? I don't even care about buying uh, as many shoes as I used to because now I get that thrill in buying stocks. I've just recently sold my real estate properties, but when I had properties, I had a thrill in, you know, first saving the deposit, then buying the properties. And then you just, it just, it's exciting. You just transfer that thrill of buying stuff with buying appreciating assets. That's brilliant. You're a mom now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, what's your philosophy on, teaching kids about money, you said, you know, growing up, you didn't quite have the, the, the proper education, or at least you sensed there was this, um, there was this negative relationship with money through the exactly. actions of your parents. What's your, how are you trying to reverse that for your kids? I actually started when they were first born. Like my, my son is eight. My daughter just turned three. And the thing that I do is when they turn one, they start getting what we call a salary. We don't call it an allowance just for our own reasons, but we call it a salary and they get $3 and they have a give, save and spend jar. Every single month, a dollar goes into each jar and then they basically are, they're, they're, they're learning that 
part of your money has to go to savings, part of your money has to go to giving to others who are less fortunate, and part of it is to spend. And they're learning that at a very young age. Whenever my, my son wants something, instead of just reaching into my pocket and giving him the money, I'll say, do you have the money? And so he'll have to go into his jars to figure it out. And if he doesn't, I'm like, well, you're gonna have to save a little bit more for that. So I've learned, I've taught them at the very early stages that money, money is something that you can do well. And actually, this is gonna sound crazy, but I'm starting to teach my eight-year-old how to buy stocks. <laughs> what, is he getting it? He totally is. Now there are moments where he's like, well, when you buy that, does that mean I go, I'm trying to, I, I, I try to really paint the picture of the ownership side of things. So, oh, I'm going back. I'm, I'm getting too excited here, but I'm going to share a story. My daughter just celebrated her third birthday. And part of it is she wanted this lovely doll because she loves dolls. So I'm like, okay, we're going to get her this doll, but we're going to get her something even better than that. So now as part of this big push for, for educating our kids with respect to finances, with respect to money, we're now giving them one gift and the gift of stocks. So for every birthday, they get stocks now. Wow, that's really incredible. Yeah. So you mentioned this uh, this jar with the with the you know save, spend, donate, invest. Yeah. Are you aware of the money savvy pig? <gasps> okay, I've heard of the money savvy pig, but I didn't. But I think it's brilliant. But yes, I, I am aware. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just saying there's it's it sounded very much like what you're executing at home which is I actually started doing this 8 years ago so I think it was before that came out but yeah. yes I am still aware Yeah maybe um so Susan Beecham who's a friend of this show so many podcasts she's the founder of Money Savvy Generation for anyone listening and you want more resources for teaching your kids about money I'm going to plug her cuz she's fantastic you just reminded me of her Money Savvy Pig which has four uh, slots awesome. save spend donate invest Yes, it's an award-winning tool, as you can imagine. It was very much mm -hmm. ahead of its time when it came out a while back. Um, but it's some of those simple things that, you know, you're, you're doing it in your house and it's working. And I think what's really great is. about it is your kids learn there's more than one way to to a sport sort of like money has many uses, in other words. Exactly, exactly. And, and there's no fear around it. Uh, my little guy, my actually both of them are really smart. My little daughter, she had she received money from her grandparents and her aunts and uncles, and and she was told, you know, what are you going to do with this? She goes, I'm going to the bank to put it in the bank. So she understood that. Oh. And we actually went to the bank. I she go with said her that. She's three. Yes, wow. she's. I'm telling you, money savvy kids. She gives the teller the the money, and then I show her the the numbers. She only knows numbers one to twenty, but nonetheless, we're working on her. And I'll show her the numbers and tell her this is how much you have. So I'm really starting to educate them early. When you start them early, they are just on their way. Yeah, and there's like you said, minutes. there's no fear, there's no presumptions, there's exactly. no, they're fluent. You know, it's like teach them any language. Money's a language. You got it. So I love I'm it. So I love, love, love it. And even my son, he's got this thing they call school, or sorry, store at that school where they give them money and then they can buy things. He had like a whole bunch of money. Kids were coming up to him asking if they can lend, if he could lend them money. Oh, that was my favorite like thing all year. When, around Christmas and holidays, they would say, okay, they, you know, parents, give your kids $2. Yeah. And then they'd, we, they would create a store. And I <laughs> loved that because I was never allowed to buy stuff as a six-year-old. I was never given money to buy things. And I just thought that was so adulting. Oh, it's so is, isn't it? You know, it was, uh, it was cool. I, I remember those experiences. All right. So what is your number one money habit 
you know, you've come out of all of this consumer debt, you've paid off your mortgage. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, just like weight loss, even though I don't love to, you know, align money principles with weight loss principles, but there are some, you know, there's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. But with anything that you do that's a struggle and then you accomplish it, there's some maintenance, Absolutely. right? That has to go into, um, keeping up with your success. So what is something that you do, Adiola? Maybe you and your husband still do it together to keep your finances on track. Oh, well, there's, there's a tool that I use and that might be a benefit. The tool, I think it's beneficial. It's called a monthly bill payment schedule. Like we literally every single bill that comes out every month, we put on the schedule and it makes that I've never paid a bill late. Uh, if you're in debt and you've got credit cards that, you know, your payments are on different days, you can slot this into the bill payment schedule and you'll know exactly when that bill's due and, and when you're you're supposed to be paying it. So we do that. My husband and I have once a month, we'll have a money meeting and he always laughs because he goes, I'm happy with everything you're doing. We're, we're done. See you later. I'm like, no, sit down. So it's hilarious. We have once a month meeting where we just go through our whole just everything really, what, how, what, what, how our investments are doing and whether there's new ideas. I have lots of ideas, money-making ideas. So I always share them with them at these meetings and um, maintenance. And I, Oh, I do every three months. So every quarter I do my net worth analysis to see where we're at and where we're going to make sure we're still, you know, moving upwards. So we do a whole bunch of those things for maintenance and uh, I encourage everyone else to do the same. Well, that's great. You guys are keeping busy. That's for sure. It's not just no, like you're yeah. not on cruise control. No, no. That's where you can go back and slip into old mm. habits. Do you feel like you still have some of those bad habits? Like you still have, I mean, you had a hundred shoes at one point. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. See my thing, it isn't even shoes and clothing anymore. My biggest thing is my kids, like I love spending on their education. This is weird because I don't think too many people can say they love spending on their kids' education, but I do. And so I, I, I probably spend more than I should on, on like tools for helping them with, with education. And I, I enjoy it, but even more so than that, I love buying stocks. Like I, I think I've seriously transferred my addiction to buying shoes to my addiction to buying stocks. But what are you buying thing. right now? Tell us. No, no, this is not. Okay. This is not Adiola giving us investment advice. Never. This is just my own no. curiosity. Oh. What's in your portfolio? Love it. Okay, you're gonna laugh. Okay, right now I have literally sold earlier this year. I sold Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, PayPal, uh, which uh, basically all the all the what they call the fang stocks gone out of my portfolio and seeing what's happening in the market today. I'm very pleased. I did that right now. I'm doing mergers arbitrage. That's my latest way of making money. It's very short term, but I'm doing it because I love to be in the market, even when it's going in the red. So I, you're going to laugh at me, but I recently purchased Barnes and Noble. And people mm, like, what? No. I bought it when it was at $6 and change. I think it was $6.85 or 80 cents. Today, it's at $7.40. The reason I bought it is because I, it's either one of two things. Either that company is going to go out of business or someone's going to come up and be the white knight and swoop them up. So I foresee, of course, all my research is pointing in this direction. I could be wrong, but this is what my research is saying. I foresee that this company is going to be either taken over or taken public. And so lo and behold, there's some research and reporting that they are looking either to do one of the two. So it's a short term way of making money. And I've done this forever. I make 
a lot of money doing this when the markets are crazy, but I'm waiting, waiting, waiting for my favorite stock to go down, which is Microsoft. Wow. All right. I'm going yeah. this down. You know, uh, <laughs> it was Columbus Day here, not, or sorry, it was, it was Indigenous Peoples Day here. Oh. And um, the kids were out of school. No, there was no school. Businesses were, you know, public businesses were closed. Do you oh. know where it was packed? Oh, Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble. Love it. So someone's going to, I'm telling you right now, either someone's going to take over that company or they're going to go private and just forget this whole trying to compete with the uh, BMF of Amazon. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, hopefully you could, there were the days of Barnes and Nobles being packed like every day was Indigenous People's oh, Day. Um, and now it's only on holidays. And now it's like, you know, certainly there are, I don't know what, who's buying stuff though. Like we bought a couple books, but... <laughs> Um, people like to go there. They have story time. It's people are just sitting there reading. I don't know if they're playing. Oh, oh, like a library. Isn't that fascinating? You know, when I was unemployed, that's what I did. Like we have something called Indigos and it's similar to Barnes and Noble. And that's what I used to do. I, I was basically my full time job was to get myself to uh, the Indigo store and I couldn't afford a thing. So I'd always come with my own hot water and I'd sit there the whole. This is horrible, but I'd sit there for eight hours reading. <laughs> yep. So I don't know about your prediction. Someone might buy them, but who knows? Right. I, I feel like, you know, it's, but, you know, borders went out of business. Uh-huh. You have to strategize. Like the Indigo in Canada is so well run and it's profitable only because it's not just a bookstore. Yeah, you can go there and buy your books and your magazines, but they have done something that I think is genius. They sell like throws, you know, you can buy, you can buy tea and coffee. You can buy little, like little trinket stationery. You can buy like all these little mugs. And so it's not just a store. It's almost like a retail. It's a retail experience. So people don't go there just to read. They go there to look at all the trinkets and to buy. They're actually buying the stuff. Wow. All right. Well, um, I have to give credit to you. I mean, to have the time and the interest to, to scout out these stocks and to do the research, you know, it's why I don't do it. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. Pick my funds and call it a day. But you know, when something's six dollars and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not yeah. uh, it's not I'm betting the farm on it, you know. But you know, maybe buy a few shares and see how how I do. And that is so important to mention. This is not putting all of your chips in, you're right, in this type of um, play. It really is just, I've got, you know, maybe 1%, 2% of my entire portfolio in that. So anything happens, it doesn't, it's not like, oh my goodness, now we really have messed up. No, it's, hey, we've either made some or we're not. But knock on wood, we've been very, very fortunate to make on these types of plays. Barnes and Nobles will be my lottery card. <laughs> I don't buy lottery tickets, but I'll buy Barnes and Nobles. Nor Um, do I. All right, Adiola, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. Sounds good. All right. If I won the lottery, speaking of, I won the lottery Mm -hmm. tomorrow. The first thing I would do is? Oh, I would make sure to take care of my mom and dad. They're just amazing. My mom and dad and, of course, your families. You want to take care of them. And also, I would donate. I'm all about financial education, and I would donate to libraries and other places out there that are really trying to get people's financial literacy up there. So that would be my, my big, big give. Love that. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? 
Oh, you know, this is going to be easy stocks. Yeah. <laughs> really? It makes your life uh, easier? Absolutely. Are you? Absolutely. Like when you write for me, I will not buy a stock unless it's undervalued. So I have a very clear, I it's almost like a 10 chart. This is, this will be my next book, a 10 chart, you know, checklist where if it doesn't meet at all, I'm not buying it. I've become that disciplined. So yeah, it does make my life easier. What are some of those items on the chart? Ooh. So the, co the company basically, a look at the return on investment. Are you sure you want me to delve deep? Well, <laughs> I'm so fascinated. I, I mean, I don't, maybe don't give me all the goodies. I, would, I do okay. want people to go and find you. And maybe if you've got this oh, absolutely. somewhere, we can download it. Absolutely. In fact, you know what? You've now kind of sparked an, I might have to just put this out there so people can actually yes, see how I do, do my, I have my research. You know what? I'm going to get, well, yeah, you have me on your show. Am I going to say no to you? No. So yes, you can. Can we have it and put it on our website and let's do it. Okay. All right. Okay, that's let's happening. do it. So go to so many podcast.com and we'll have something there for you, a link to get you to this worksheet that and it works okay um <laughs> where were we okay so oh here we go one thing i wish i had learned about money growing up is that it's not scary that money really is easy it's just getting around the mind that's it hmm. and last but not least i'm adiola omole i'm so money because I was able to crush over $390,000 of debt and build a seven-figure net worth, and I'm living my life on my terms. So, so good. Yay! So good. Okay. <laughs> so the book, everybody, again, is called, Adiola, tell us. Absolutely. Seven Steps to Get Out of Debt and Build Wealth, How I Paid Off Over $390,000 of Debt and Built a Seven-Figure Net Worth Through the Supercharged Financial Strategy. Yes. And you can go to Adiola Omole. I'm going to spell that. Perfect. A-D-E-O-L-A. -E Omole is O-M-O-L-E.com. We will have the link on our website as well in case you didn't have a pen and paper um, or have some sort of, you know, insane memory. Uh, <laughs> but we will, we will, we would love to stay in touch with you. You're so fascinating. You're so exuberant. I love Aww. that you're all about investing. We can't have enough women Aww, thank who you. are passionate about this to get us all really excited and getting our money um, where it matters, putting our money where it matters. Thank you so much. Exactly. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for having me on your show, Farnoosh. Really appreciate it. You can learn more about Adiola on her website, adiolaomole.com. Her book is called Seven Steps to Get Out of Debt and Build Wealth. And for her tips, her tip sheet on how to pick stocks, check out this episode over at somoneypodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. <laughs> <laughs>